I'm so glad to be with you this morning. I'm Joel Miller. I'm currently the interim minister in Indianapolis at the All Souls Unitarian Church. Nice to be with you in Los, Los Alamos. I was in Los Alamos fairly often, once, maybe twice a year, many years ago. I was the minister of a Unitarian Universalist congregation in Colorado, the Columbine Unitarian Universalist Church. I'd moved to Littleton to start the congregation with a group of people that were also founding the congregation. I'd go to Los Alamos when I was on retreat with my minister colleagues. It's a great, great time there. So I'd gone to Littleton, Colorado. We were starting this congregation. We had our first board meeting just a few weeks after I'd arrived. The meeting had broken up and Dottie, who was on the board, stayed to talk with me. I'd only been there a few weeks. The church itself had only existed even in spirit for just a few months. You know, it's really intense work to start a congregation. The people who were starting a congregation to get to know each other very well. So Dottie pulled me aside and she said, Joel, I feel like I've been coming here for a few months, but I'm always an outsider. I always feel like I'm looking in on everyone through a window. And you know, everyone here is a Christian and I'm an atheist. We talked a bit that night before we headed home. And then the very next night, we were just finishing up after the religious education meeting. And Alex, another member of the board who was also starting the congregation, he took me aside. Alex said to me, Joel, I feel like there's an in-group here and an out-group, and I feel like I'm in the out-group all by myself. And, you know, part of it is that everyone here is an atheist, and I'm a Christian. You know, obviously not everybody was an atheist or a Christian at the Columbine Church. Really, there wasn't an in-group or an out-group either. And there were a lot of spiritual beliefs in that church. In fact, my experience with Unitarian Universalism is that a congregation of 100 members is going to have at least 100 different beliefs. And I know the congregations I've been in, those congregations at least have at least um, uh, one more set of beliefs than they have members because I have usually two sets of beliefs and I'm wrestling between them, which one is better. It's a great thing about being a Unitarian Universalist. I can improve on my beliefs. So everyone was new in this congregation with all of their different beliefs. Dottie and Alex were very involved, just like everybody else. They're on the board of trustees. They came to church expecting to feel deeply connected, and they were. But they felt lonely. They did not expect that. You know something, I've served 10 congregations as a Unitarian Universalist minister, and I've seen people feel that loneliness. I was a member of three congregations as a layperson, and I saw that loneliness. I felt it. It's a surprising feeling when you get involved in a church, deeply get involved. What is this? You might wonder. 
those who find Unitarian Universalism after leaving another religious group where they couldn't fit in, couldn't belong because of beliefs or practices. And finally, they feel like they're coming home. But wait, why this? What's this lonely feeling? Where'd that come from? I've seen it in long time, lifelong members of a Unitarian Universalist congregation with hundreds of good friends, and they feel lonely. We think we're going to church to be connected, deeply connected with life and meaning, spirit. Most of us do connect, but somehow we might find ourselves feeling an unexpected loneliness. Let me make a distinction. It's not the raw, harsh loneliness that a thoughtful, open-minded child feels when they're in a restrictive and punishing church. It's not the aching loneliness of lost friendship. It's not the loneliness of homesickness when we're far away from a homeland. It's not that sharp, painful loneliness when we've lost someone we love. It's not the frightening loneliness of going into a church for the first time and no one even talks to us. This loneliness is different. In fact, my experience is that it only shows up when we become deeply connected in our lives. Even more so when we're surrounded by people we, we know love us. This loneliness, I first felt it after being in recovery from my addiction to alcohol. I'm an alcoholic, and I'm always working on my sobriety, always thinking about it. I have a practice of 12 steps I follow. It's been working pretty well. I haven't had an alcoholic drink in over 30 years. I'm really grateful for the life I have and it's practicing those steps and being in recovery, as we like to say, what happens when we begin to live the practice, live those 12 steps. I have good friends. I have a family that loves me. I love being a Unitarian Universalist minister. This practice, this recovery, it keeps me connected and grateful for all I have but it doesn't take away that loneliness. I sometimes still feel it. There are 12 steps in the program I follow. In the center of those steps are the majority of them focused on the spiritual practice of making amends. Why amends? They focus on amends because of how they are connected in one way to that loneliness. I follow these steps every day. My amends begin with actually the fourth step, understanding the harm I've done to others. I write it down. And then the next step, I share that list with somebody I trust, somebody who will tell me the truth, who will tell me when I'm not being fully honest to, with myself or I'm still steeped in resentments. Then the next step, I become accountable for what I've done, accepting the fact that I did it emotionally, connecting that sense of loneliness with the fear I have of confronting it. 
next step. Owning it, I find a way to be willing to make the amends to those I've hurt, to repair the harms I've caused. Then I think hard about what are the needs of the people I'm, I'd like to make amends to? Because the steps I'm telling you about, they're not about my getting to my getting a reward, my getting to feel all better. They're about repairing the relationships I have with other people, renewing the connections, repairing the harm I've done. And once I've thought about that, then I think about how can I make the amends? How shall I apologize? And how shall I correct it if, if it's at all possible? And then I do it. And then I do it. It's spiritual work, and it's very rewarding work. I do end up feeling quite a bit better and a lot less lonely, I've noticed. It's important, though, that in the doing of it, the practice of it, it it's, it's one way. I don't get to go to other people and say, well, you know, I harmed you, but here's how you harmed me. It's not how it works. I don't get to demand forgiveness. What I do is become accountable. I recover the integrity of my own life. My own life is reconnected to itself. And if I'm lucky, I'm reconnected to others. And I notice that that odd loneliness is diminished. For me, the story of Jonah is, it's one of my favorites, perhaps because it reminds me of myself more than I'd like to admit. I love telling it, um, especially when there are children to hear it. And I love telling it because it reminds me that, you know, I've run from things I, I've known I should do. Life has called me to do things and I have not found a way to say yes. Life keeps coming back after me and sometimes swallows me up. And I've had those moments when I feel like I'm in the belly of a whale especially those moments when, when I'm too afraid to start thinking about harms I've caused or being accountable for my life or maybe just being resentful. <laughs> resentful, actually. You know, lately, the thing I've really been struggling with is fume, I fume at the deeds of other people. For me these days, it's the big, powerful guys, uh, Vladimir Putin or Xi Jinping or Donald Trump or the guys who put Donald Trump into power, like, uh, oh, never mind. Really, I spend way too much time on these guys. I resent them, I'm mad at them. But you know what happens then? I'm spending all my energy on other people and how much I hate them. And then I go on, because then I go on to hate the people who put them into power. I hate the people who vote, on, vote for them. I don't like who I, be, I become when I behave like that. It makes me ugly makes me uh, it makes me much like a fellow who's covered in fish guts and has just gone grocery shopping as soon as i'm wishing for the universe to strike that donald trump with lightning bolts i'm not the person i want to be and the voice reminds me the voice in my head the over the universe my practice reminds me you know 
There have been times, Joel, you've been just as deserving as that cosmic lightning strike. Maybe I want to rethink that. We all have our moments. You know, the thing about resentments is that having them is like drinking poison and expecting the person I'm hating will die. It's just useless. Just hurt myself. So this making amends. It's the hardest work, hardest spiritual work I've had to do. And I find that the self-evaluation I have to do to make amends, it's painful, it has to be honest, it has to be deep. I have to confront the most unattractive fish gut covered parts of my soul. So I can relate to Jonah going to Tarshish instead of Nineveh. I've had my own moments when my version of sailors on the boat have thrown me off the boat and I found myself swallowed whole. I've dwelt in the belly of a whale for more than three days sometimes, maybe even some years, covered in those half-digested fish guts, stewing in my own resentments. And I can even relate to Jonah's resentment at having to go to Nineveh. And there he goes in rotten fish. You know, it's hard to apologize to someone I've hurt. It's hard to really listen to others who have something hard to say to us. And then accepting the opportunity from someone to mend what they have lost, to actually make a difference, to fix it maybe even. Makes me feel like I'm covered in rotten fish. This spiritual practice turns my soul outward. I don't get to sit in judgment of others. Making amends has no room for judgment, stinking in resentment at others, wishing for them the wrath of the gods and lightning bolts from the sky. The hand of a god smiting Nineveh in vengeance because you don't like what's going on. So I do these steps and I find they bring me hope and joy. They reopen me to connection, partly because I'm so relieved at mending what I've broken, and because doing it shows how our seventh principle isn't just nice words. When I break a connection, I really do feel it. I think we all do. It's a harsh, lonely, existential feeling, outside looking in at life. Making amends mends the lives of others. And that, in turn, does mend my own soul and mends the soulful connections I have with everything. It's like washing off the fish guts. Dottie lamented how she felt, like she was outside looking in. She was as in as anybody in that church could be. You know, even though after making amends, following steps, I still find, I feel that loneliness. It's still there sometimes. And that's because I think the web of life is calling us to make more than just amends. I think something's calling us to love the world. Dottie understood she was called to this love 
It was a love so powerful, she helped start a church in a spiritual tradition she barely knew. In a spiritual tradition, yes, where she could be an atheist, but also a tradition where there were people who were not atheists. Not easy for Dottie. The call started as an unexpected loneliness for her. She and Alex and all of us came to find that it was an open call to love, to life, to something more. I learned to be open to the call with those steps I described, seeking to make amends, to be accountable for the life I live. But then in hearing it, there's a love that speaks to us through that unexpected loneliness. Something's calling to us love to mend our broken relationships with the web of life itself, maybe. Every moment of life is a chance to answer this lonely message, to mend the world with love through service and searching for truth with compassion. Every moment is an opportunity to realize, oh, maybe there's something about fish guts going on, and then to wash it off and reconnect. This living tradition of ours tells us that the spirit of life and the spirit of love are calling to us, always calling to us. Let's gather to answer that call and answer it with our lives, to be guides in living in love to a world that needs it desperately, to live lives that are in service to all and all that is. And by the truth, the truth that mending any life is mending our own lives. <laughs>